podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to A Celtic State of Mind with me, Natasha Meekel, and I am delighted to be joined by Laura Bradburn and Amy Canavan. Hi, girls. Hello. Hi, how's it going? Good. Now, for those of you who have tuned in expecting to see your usual Monday club of Kevin Graham and Russell Boyce, I am delighted to say that we are doing a one-off all-girls axiom to mark the fact that today is International Women's Day. So thank you to the two guys for giving up their slot for the day and letting us take over the show. And now we will absolutely get on with the usual show and there is plenty to talk about. Obviously, not all of it very positive. Um, But firstly, I want to comment on why we're doing this today um, and why us girls are doing the show, the three of us. Because for those of you who don't know, and I think most of you do, today is International Women's Day um, and it's a day to celebrate the achievements of women as well as recognise the fact that there's still a long way to go if we are to achieve gender parity, which is what we all want. If anyone's questioning why we still need International Women's Day, then I encourage you to go to internationalwomensday.com, find out more, have a read, and I'll post a link on my Twitter page. It's something I'm really passionate about. I know the other girls with me are too, um, and I encourage everyone to be. And before we get started, I and the other girls just also wanted to say thank you to Paul and the Axon team um, for having us on the show. 
Um, the support from 90% of the people who listen has been absolutely brilliant and we are really appreciative of that. Of that. Um, it's great. And I know I was, the other girls, you know, we've all been brought up by our parents, by our grandparents, to believe that football is a world open to all, regardless of gender. And we're delighted that the majority of you agree and have been super supportive of this. Um but it would be wrong not to mention the fact that we have seen the other side too. You know, the girls will tell you, you've probably read it, the tiresome comments that we should leave football to the men, that we and our opinions can't be taken seriously because we're women. And that's why we need days like today. You know, the three of us, me, Amy, Laura, we love the game. We love talking about football. We love watching it. We love commenting on it, just like you guys do. Um, and we need platforms like this, like Axon, to continue to give us opportunities to normalise women in sports media. Um, and by doing so, I think we can, you know, decrease the sexist comments and just normalise it. So I, I encourage everyone to, to think about that and to remember that when watching women in sport. And I thank Axon again for thinking differently and having the three of us on to do this. And we will get on with the usual bulletin, but I'll put this out to you. Girls, Laura, what, I know you've had plenty of the same dealings. Um, you've had plenty of support, but you've had plenty of the other side too. Um, yeah. What's your take on it? Um, well, first thing I want to say is obviously this is a great opportunity. Um, I think I think what I want to say first and foremost is, you know, like I think the three of us recognise that us as individuals are probably quite privileged uh, as women in the you know we live in the western world and and we have opportunities that we haven't been too restricted to we maybe deal with a bit of sexism day to day but you know but on the whole we don't experience as much of an issue as people in other parts of the world and I think that that's to me what International Women's Day means it's maybe not as much for me as an individual but more for for parts of the world where women certainly are still second class citizens and, and so that's that's important to say as well but um, mm -hmm. yeah I think I think most of what I find about being a woman in this uh, arena is don't get me wrong, some of the guys get pretty horrendous abuse as well, but I think what we experience is for every bit of abuse that they get, there's an extra bit we that is ammunition against us, which is if all else fails, call them out for being a woman, call them out for the way they look, call them out for the way they dress or whatever. And that's where that's where it's just yeah. unfortunate. You know, I, I, I've been watching mm -hmm. a bit of the NFL in recent years um, with my brother and the two of us were actually quite shocked at like the level that female reporters in that sport have got to and, and the way that they're accepted and respected and, and their presence there isn't caveated by anything like, yeah, good for a female or she's got a decent opinion mm -hmm. for a woman it's just there and it's expected and that's that's all I really want going forward yeah. is for football media to see for you not to because even as a woman I sit and watch the tv and go oh they've got a female pundit on today and that's the fact that's right. the fact it even mm -hmm. registers is like that's the problem <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, and Amy, you'll know it. You've studied journalism. You're you're a budding journalist and very good at it. You know, I've seen the work you do not only on here, um, but for other clubs and other platforms as well, which is which is excellent. And you'll have experienced it too. Um, you know, you look at sort of standard bearers out there like Alex Scott and Leanne Crichton, and they do an excellent job. And I want them to be seen as as pundits, not female pundits 
just pundits. And Amy, I think that's something that you will be one day. So um, have you experienced that so far? Do you think it's getting better? Do you think it's worse? I think it's definitely getting better. I think it's easier in the sense, I think what Laura, uh, just to echo basically what Laura said, um, like International Women's Day, of course, we are we are privileged. Um, and of course, you still want to highlight, obviously, that we we um, are probably victims to a little bit more criticism than, than the men. But it's it's not half as bad as what some other women are putting up with across the world. So if, if it's only just because of the football, then I can sort of take that with a pinch of salt. Um, I think as well, we all do deal with it quite well. Um, and I do think that's probably a credit to ourselves. Um but absolutely, I think it is easier in this sense. And my generation, we, I can look to it. I want to be the next Daily Barber. I want to be the next Hazel Irvin. It's not like, I, imagine, I always just think, imagine being them. They're not looking to anyone to be. So I have these these women to look up to. But like you say, Alex Scott, Leanne Crichton, um, Ailey Barber, they are, they are, they are the trendsetters. Um, and that's yeah. just who you need to emulate, so... And, and they do a great job. They do. Um, I listen to them and I think they're they're excellent. But so often on social media, you see them getting taken apart in a way that, that men wouldn't. Um, but I'm grateful that I think we're moving in the right direction. Platforms like this can only help. Um, so, again, very grateful for that. And I love doing the show. Um, and I know you girls too, do too. So, like I said, we will get on with the show. So we will. Um but unfortunately, it is now time to talk about something even more depressing than the fact that it will take over 250 years to close the gender pay gap. Um, so let's talk about Celtic. Um, so yesterday's efforts, if we can call it that, were they in the second half? Um, anyway, yesterday's efforts officially confirmed that the league title will be heading across the city. Now, really, it was just a formality, wasn't it? You know, we've we've known for months that this was happening. Um it was coming, you know, you can almost say that have you, you know, settled it in your head? We were prepared for it. So, you know, with that in mind, I was actually surprised at how I felt yesterday. Um, it was just a formality. It was just, you know, the ceiling off. But I was surprised at feeling as upset and angry as I did. And I think that was largely down to the manner in which we lost it, which has been symptomatic of our whole season. You know, watching those last 20 minutes was soul destroying. I didn't see one player give the necessary fight, desire, belief it took to go and win that game. So, you know, in the end, fittingly, we simply handed over the title. And I say we handed it over because while I acknowledge their good results over the course of the season, we never got started. You know, the minute we had those games delayed as a result of ball and goalie going off to Spain, you know, we never got started. And I'm I'm still angry about that, really. And I think it brought it home yesterday. You know, I'm angry that this was a record-breaking season and collective failure from the board, the management, the players has prevented us from achieving that history. And Amy, when you look at that performance yesterday, the confirmation that the league is officially gone, you know, what's your take? Were you already resigned or did the manner of the result yesterday make it worse for you? I think the manner of the result just sort of, it just summed everything up. It was just so depleted. There was just, there was no enthusiasm. There was no nothing. I think what affected me more about losing, um, like obviously the league being done, was not even the manner of which the game yesterday, it was the manner of the aftermath. 
There seemed yeah. to be no emotion. There was no, there was not enough hurt for me. Yeah. Um, and I yeah. know that probably doesn't sound the best. That, but these guys, are, they're not even crouching down to their knees. There's no, there's not even any of that falseness, fakeness. Like, oh, I'm, I'm crying. I'm sad. It was just like, I've, I know obviously camera angles, you don't see every player, but the guys that they cut in on, these are guys that have been here for six, seven, eight seasons out of the nine. Um, you're looking even at, and I'm a big fan of Callum McGregor and I think he does a lot. Um, coming out after press conferences, I know you see that week in, week out, Natasha, and he does really, he, he takes a lot. Um, he comes out faces the media when, when certain others don't. Um, but just the whole attitude yesterday, now I don't, it's sort of, it's one of those ones that, now I get that these players as well, they probably would have deep down I thought hey, we've lost like a few weeks ago but don't act like it they yeah. acted like they, they knew this was just coming there was none of this mm-hmm. like oh if, if we carry on for one more game then we could take them to Parkhead we could maybe try and get a win yeah. and then there would just seem to be no just no disappointment and you would never have thought that these guys have just that this was a history break a potential history breaking season and they've just lost it there was no yeah. sort of recollection of that at all Completely agree. And it's something that we've, we criticised and Laura, you talked about it on Friday about Frimpong and his attitude that he didn't seem to get it. And that ties in with what Amy's saying there. You know, after the game, there wasn't the hurt that I wanted to see that the players went through, that the supporters did. Um, it was, there was nothing. You know, it was very, very damp, to be honest. Um, it was all very underflated. There wasn't that upset that the fans were suffering. And that sort of seems to me to be symptomatic of a squad who didn't understand what they'd just lost. Um, and Frimpong's comments tie into that, as Jungle Lion has, has said in the comments. It looks like the whole squad had the same attitude as Frimpong. Laura, do you agree? Yeah, I think I wanted to actually pick up a little bit on the comments I made about Frimpong uh, last week because I, I saw a fair point from somebody who said, you know, we can't expect a wee guy who was born in Holland and never grew up watching Celtic to be as diehard as we are. And obviously that that is true. What I do expect, though, is somebody like Scott Brown, who's been there for over a decade, or Neil Lennon, who's been involved in the club in some fashion for 20 years, to be able to speak to these players and say... Listen, this isn't this isn't like any other season. This isn't like any other club. This is, you know, if we if we get ten, you are going to go down in history as, you know, people. You know, we're still talking about the European Cup winning side from nineteen sixty seven. You can you can put across to these players your names will go down forever if you can get this one title. We're not even asking you to win a decade's worth of titles. We're asking you to put one more title on top of the, the nine that have already been won. And and just to echo your comments, I think, and I said it yesterday on the post-match coverage, I was surprised at how disappointed I was, and, and not to sound too much like Jim with his death by a thousand cuts that keeps coming up, but I, I, I keep saying it's not about losing the league. It's not about the fact that we've won nine and we stumbled at ten. That's disappointing, yes. But if we'd got to the last game of the season and lost it by a point, you'd have been hurt, but you would have thought we nearly did it the manner in which this has been done and that we've fallen flat in our faces in the way that we have and that nobody none of them seem to care Mm. is is what hurts the most about it and it's frustrating isn't it because we do get criticized um, quite often for throwing the toys out of the pram after one bad season Um, there's plenty of people on social media um, who come out in support of of Lennon and the players this season saying you know we've given you 
unprecedented success. There's the quadruple treble. There's nine in a row. Look what we've done. You know, the 10 was always going to be difficult. And I appreciate the history and I appreciate all the trophies that we've won and the success that we've had over the last nine years. It has been absolutely fantastic. And those memories will live with us forever. But this wasn't too big an ask. You know, we're not throwing our toys out of the pram because we've lost one league in, in 10. It's the manner in which we did it and the fact that the board and the players and the management should have made beyond doubt certain that we would win this league. They should have been 120% sure that we had everything in place to absolutely ensure beyond all possible doubt that this league was going to be won. And they didn't. And they failed to do that and they failed to deliver something that was very important to the fans. So it's not the case of throwing toys out of the pram for, for losing a league. It's the manner in which it was done and it was the failure by anyone at the club throughout the course of this disaster of a season because it has been a disaster and throughout it nobody took ownership and that's frustrating for me so it's the manner in which we lost it rather than the loss of the league itself um, It's a state of complacency isn't it? Um, yes. And I guess you could sort of say it's been like that over the last few years. Gerard has been building something at Rangers and we can all pretend and say that it wasn't but there clearly was something there um, we have seen it. Yeah, there's still been five ones, five nils along the way, but that, that. It's the marketers' report this week. Patrizia Spagnoletto, global chief marketing officer, direct consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. That was pre-Gerard. We've talked about this closing of the gap. Now we've all just went, and of course we were all, we were all under that impression. Of course, they're not closing the gap. But you sort of, in hindsight, is a wonderful thing. And of course, you can look back now and go, all right, maybe they were. But that's us as fans. The board and the management have not been recognising this. They're the guys that are facing these teams week in week out. And you've got to be picking up right. We're not beating this side five one five nil now. Where it's a one one, it's a two one. There has to be something there. You're watching the, they bring these guys. In and Kamara and Davis is coming back but we we just were so complacent and it was just sort of like oh well nine, nine leagues have been done this one will just be easy and there was just it was, yeah. there was a, it was a sheer arrogance as well I think as well like I think Paul said it yesterday um, I don't think any of us sitting here can say we've got two games against Rangers before the end of the season obviously excluding any potential Scottish Cup tie that might come up do any of us think we're going to beat them? I don't. I'm back to thinking the way I used to think when I was a kid in the 90s where like a, a victory over Rangers was almost impossible and when it did happen you were absolutely in cloud nine. Now, I'm not saying it is as bad as that. It's nowhere near as bad as that. But I don't have confidence going into the old firm matches anymore. I, I, I definitely see like a potential for further slip-ups and what I don't want 
apart from anything else, the gap is big enough already at the top of the table. I don't want it to get any bigger. Yes, absolutely. And I do have serious concern going into that game in a couple of weeks' time. We'd be crazy if we didn't. We've seen the performances and the results over the last month or so, so we'd be crazy if we felt confident going into that game. And it's frustrating to me because what I wanted to see Regardless, the season was done, but there's positives to be looked at in other angles and we've got to because there's no point just writing off the rest of it. So what I wanted to see is I wanted to see Kennedy come in. I wanted to see him assert his style. I wanted to see something a bit different and I wanted him to go and win the remaining eight games and then win the Scottish Cup. And you can end the season and think it was a disaster, but there was something there that we can look at and build on. And I'm not seeing that, to be honest. Um... I'm not seeing any positives coming coming that way. And if I was John Kennedy, I would be certainly worried about my role after after yesterday. You know, for me, if that if yesterday was an addition, he failed it. Um, mm-hmm. I was so impressed with the first half. I thought we had a good tempo to our game. I thought that the passing was short, sharp. We were creating a lot of chances. And you know, at half time, I was sitting there thinking that. I almost enjoyed watching us play for the first time and I don't remember how long I was enjoying it. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, we've been nowhere near clinical enough, but I'm seeing improvement. And then the second half comes along and as we've seen all too often, the performance fell off a cliff. And I have to say, it wasn't aided by John Kennedy in any way. His substitutions were what killed us in the second half for me, I mean, why take Turnbull off in the 62nd minute? That doesn't make sense. And I think following that, we lost a bit of shape. We lost some drive. And I don't get bringing James Forrest on either. You know, it's great to see him back. And we've missed him a lot this season. We really have missed his creativity and we've missed a winger that we didn't replace. But this wasn't the game to reintroduce James Forrest. We needed a bit of dig, a bit of push as we went on to to win the game. You know, this wasn't a game that we were 3-0 up and we could ease Forrest back into it. He looked off the pace and he gave the ball away too often, but that's understandable given his injury and his layoff. But with what was at stake with winning that game, I don't understand why that was the time to bring him in because it didn't work. And what else didn't work was bringing Griffiths on for five minutes at the <laughs> at the end of the game and not giving him a chance to be effective. So, Amy, on the back of that, do you think there is any chance for John Kennedy? Will he be considered for the job or will he be considered in any capacity following the end of this season? I don't think so. I really don't. And I know, I think all three of us probably got a lot very few pelters in the last few weeks maybe saying that we sort of jumped on oh we can't have Kennedy part and people like well you don't really know Kennedy you can't you you have to give him a bit of a chance no he's part of the problem this isn't yeah Lennon is the front man but it's a, it is a team effort and you can chuck about all the cliches all you want and right fine maybe Lennon didn't want Kennedy as part of his plans but at the end of the day he has been part of it and Ken, Kennedy's been part of it for a long long time He's not shown anything in these in these few games, and I know it's hard to 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 just base him off two games, but it's not like it's. And I'm not expecting him to create a miracle, but there's nothing has even slightly changed. I think maybe in training, there's I think some of the videos that came out of the trainings maybe looked a bit better. Whoopie do. It's not. If, I'm not here to if the cones look pretty or like I want to see a performance, and I'm not seeing that. Like you see these substitutions as well. Everybody is slated Lennon for not making a substitution until the 70th minute, bringing on the second striker or third striker with only two minutes to go Kenny's just Kennedy sorry is just doing exactly the same thing like you say you're trying to find just a goal here and when you bring on Lee Griffiths with how many minutes to go was it five minutes to go if that um, 
like you say, Turnbull, that this is an issue. Something I think needs to come out. If why is he only lasting six odd minutes? Like you say, he's the most creative player. He's coming off looking frustrated as well, so it's not looking at like he can only make like 60, 65 minutes. And we've been saying that for since the beginning of time with Turnbull. So there's just nothing really drastically seems to have changed. Now, like you say, if this is an audition, then Kennedy's failing. He's not got that many games, and who knows about the Scottish Cup? That's still just a whole mess right now. So if he's he's not really he's not putting a stamp on things, making it look like he wants to still be in in the club in, in any sort of position. Um, certainly not managerial for me. And like you say, the biggest thing is, is it stopping Rangers going invincible? And does he look like the man that's going to beat Rangers right now? I certainly don't think so, because I don't think he can field the team now. I know he's only got a certain amount of players that he's dispensed, but he doesn't like to be getting the best out of these players. It's very true. And let, let's talk about the players that we have on the pitch and who he's going to play going forward. Because now we're, we are in a bit of a conundrum. What do we do from here? For me, what I would like to see us do is give some of the guys a chance. And I'm talking about Ayeti and Klamala. Let's see what they have to offer because we've not seen it this season. We're persisting with Edward. Now, Edward won't be here next season. It's as simple as that. He won't. So the league is done. There's nothing left to play for in the league. Let's see Ayeti and Klamala. Let's see if there's anything to work with there. Let's see if there's any sort of glimmers of hope that they're going to be a striker who can be Edward's replacement next season. Show us, give him game time and let him see if there could be a partnership, one up front on his own, but give it a chance. You know, Clamalli getting 60 minutes against Aberdeen isn't enough of a chance. There is no point in persisting with Edward when, you know, for the game, you know, yesterday, he didn't look like he wanted to be there. You know, he wasn't trying nearly enough for me. He's not going to be part of next season's plans. So what worse can Clamalli or Yeti do? Let's see them. Let's see if we're going to persist with them for next season or I don't know Laura do you think we're going to eventually have to get to the position where we write them off you know write off those millions that we spent and try and recoup what we can in the summer I think firstly to pick up on Edward um, I've heard a lot of people say you know he's not long for Celtic because he's a world class player and he's going to go on and do this that and the next thing I have to admit, I quite pride myself on, on being a Celtic fan who knows the difference between a player who is good for us and a player who is going to go on and do something on the world stage. Van Dyke was that, Larson was that, Tierney probably was that as well. Edward, for me, given the level of opposition that he's playing this season, is far too inconsistent to suggest that he's going to go on and do anything at a higher level. Having said that, I do agree that he's, he's not long for the club. I think he will leave in the summer for better or for worse. I don't see how, given everything that's happened this season, how we would be in a financial position to write off the amount of money that we've paid for a jetty in Klamala. We, we might have our hands tied as far as that's concerned. But you never know. It might be one of these situations where um, maybe Edward's presence is not allowing a jetty in Klamala to do what it is they do best. There's an argument to say that possibly, you know, Klamala and a jetty are certainly more kind of poacher type players than than. Edward was, perhaps if they'd been playing yesterday with the amount of chances we created we might be talking about them in a different light. It, I think it all comes down to systems. I think you're talking about uh, two strikers of one kind and one striker of another kind and comparison definitely isn't possible but it, maybe if you change the system um, and say to Clamalla or Ajeti, you stand in front of the goal and wait for the ball and if we can get a system going that gets them service, I think you're talking about two different players there. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And 
you know, it is going to be important that we recruit new players because there is going to be a rebuild. We know that there's going to be a lot of players heading out the door and that means there's going to have to be a lot of players coming in the door. And the risk when you bring those sort of new players into the levels that we're going to have to and you see the turnover in playing staff that we're going to see, the risk is that that creates, you know, a bit of unease for next season. Um, You know, there's certainly a job to be done there and blending and moulding a new team out of a group of new players. That's going to be the real challenge. So while player recruitment is going to be huge, there's a massive decision to be made in terms of the next manager. And that's the important one. We need to appoint the right person. We can't afford to get this wrong. Um, And we need to stop a pendulum swing. Because, you know, take the example of when we stopped their 10 in a row, you know, back in 1998 season. Um, when we stopped their 10 in a row, they immediately went out and appointed Dick Advocate, a manager at that time of stature, um, who had achieved success. And he went on to win the next two leagues for Rangers, um, winning a treble and a double on the way. And that immediately, you know, took that title back back to them. And we need to do the same. We need to take this back straight away and we need the right manager to do so. And we just can't afford to get this wrong. You know, the wrong appointment here could result in us losing next season. The pendulum continues to swing in the wrong direction and the further it goes in the wrong direction, it's it's harder to get back. And I know it's been talked about a lot on the show, but I haven't had a chance to speak to either of you about it directly. So, Amy, I'll put you on the, I'll put you on the spot first. Who do you want to see the club appoint? When do you think we'll hear about what's happening next season? And what do you expect the, cl- the club to do now in terms of new appointments, new manager next season? I'm still going with Eddie Howe. Um, I really am. I just think there's obviously, there's some names out there that you can sort of like reach for the stars. And of course you would love, I'd love a Martinez to walk in. I'd love a Steve Clark to walk in. But I just like, I just do not see that happening. It's a tournament summer. I keep battering on about that, but I just don't see that happening. Um, I think that's a really interesting one, asking when. Um Again, that's put your put your hand into a hat and pull out some sort of date. Um, it could be anything. It could be, I could. I think if it was like a P, the PR stunt, which I can see Celtic trying to pull out, it will be for season tickets. I really can. I can see it sort of being like the same time. I think Rodgers was announced, um, maybe even a little bit before. It's again, it's a hard one this year because you don't know with a Scottish Cup when when the season is ever going to end. It's um, it's a tough one to determine, but I do see it happening three euros um mm. in that sense before the before the guys go away. Um yeah. again I am pressing for Eddie Howe. I just think it needs to be that new and younger sort of model. I know there's um a few foreigners and to be honest I wouldn't be too disappointed with him but I think I keep going back to um Tony's point. It just has to be an appointment, not a disappointment. I think that's one of the most accurate things that has came out of this season. Um, and, and if it is a disappointment, then you can, you, can, you can just sort of see a lot of people walking away in the sense that season tickets will not be getting renewed. The club will be worried about that. I'm absolutely certain um, the season ticket income is a massive massive revenue stream for the club. And the club have already suffered massive losses on the back of this pandemic season. So they will be very, very concerned about keeping the season ticket holders on side. But whether we have the finances or whether we can attract the right person to be that appointment rather than disappointment will remain to be seen. My concern is that if we're waiting on someone who's been at the Euros, 
you know, by the time that that's finished, there's going to be a very short period of time for them to come in before next season, you know, before the first Champions League qualifier. I was reading earlier today that it's been it's only roughly 100 days until the first Champions League qualifier. Now, that's a very, very short period of time for a rebuild. It is. And we're symptomatic of Celtic is not to be prepared for these qualifiers. And I'm very concerned that we are going to be seeing that again this season or next season. You know, we need someone in as soon as possible so that they can assess the squad, you know, see what they have to work with, bring in the necessary players, get them integrated into the team, implement a new philosophy, change this culture that is apparently so wrong in the club. That that's We've not got time for that if we don't start moving quickly. Um, so with that in mind, and with the season ticket renewals in mind, Laura, when do you think the club are going to, to make some sort of announcement on this? Well, I think based on the timelines that you're talking about, um, plus any potential, you know, isolation periods, if those things are still going on as, as late as the summer, and hopefully not, but if they are... I think you can safely rule out anybody who is an international manager for for an appointment because, let's say, for example, Steve Clark. Now, I don't think Steve Clark would touch the Celtic job with a barge pole because he's he said before, regardless of football and things, he, he's not interested in, in putting himself in that goldfish bowl, him or his family. So, but, you know, is he going to realistically take Scotland all the way to a European finals, their first major tournament in a generation, and then say, actually, no, I'll leave that to somebody else and I'll go to Celtic. You could probably say the same about Roberto Martinez. He's going to want to see how far he can get with a Belgium team that's probably stronger than any Belgian team that's gone into any tournament in recent years. And so anybody of that calibre, or or not even that calibre, but anybody in that position, I think you can rule out. Because, like we say, we're essentially straight back into high-level competitive Football middle of July. Um, I've I've said from the beginning, and, and not to not to echo me too much, but like Eddie Howe for me is a you know he's about as good an appointment as you could get. I think in an ideal world, I would like a Ralph Ranić or a or a Rafa Benitez, but I think that's a bit pie in the sky. I think mm. Eddie Howe um, maybe has a bit of a point to prove after things kind of declined a bit at Bournemouth, but I think his ideas will be fresh enough with the group of players. He'll bring something new. Um, he's young enough that you know he might think, well, it's worth a few years uh, going to Celtic to rebuild my profile and then get back down to England, which. I think we all have to accept as part of our role as a club is to to provide a platform for people. Just hopefully we can get out of it what we want while it's there. But yeah, Eddie mm-hmm. Howe would and has been my choice for a long time and, and I don't see any reason why we can't get him. Now, it's something that's come up um, on Twitter, some comments around this over the last day or so, is that are we building short term or long term here? Um and it's been discussed at length whether we need to put someone, a very experienced manager, in place right now so that they're ready for next season, ready for the Champions League qualifiers, um, and it's a quick fix for next season. Or do we have to think a bit more outside the box on this? Do we have to think of someone or a team who can take us over the next three, four, five, six longer periods? And for me there's an ideal sort of combination that can help us achieve both. And for me, that's Maloney and Martinez. Um, If we bring a pairing like that in, we have on one hand the experience of Martinez, who has worked with some of the best players in the world 
and can come in and, and be that quick fix that we need and get a squad ready to go for the start of next season. But equally, an appointment like that can, can be long-term planning. You know, he can stay for this two, three-year cycle you've talked about, Laura, and then leave and hand it over to Maloney, who will have been working with him over the course of those couple of seasons and who can then take it forward from there. So for me, that's an interesting appointment that could merge those short and long-term options. But if we... If we have to go with one, Amy, if we have to decide whether we're doing a quick fix or a long-term overhaul and rebuild, what direction do you want to see the club going in and what direction do you think they will go in? It has to be. Everybody wants the long-term. Um, I'd be surprised if anybody just wants the short-term. Um, I don't Because the short-term fix, then we're just going to come back to this discussion in two, three years. And do we really want this cycle to keep on going around? I don't think so. Um, I think as well, I think that, reaching for the stars is Martinez Maloney and I, what you've said is totally spot on and I do and I think that's the stuff of dreams I really do but I just think if Martinez goes and has a, a great summer with Belgium which more than keep that squad are more than capable of doing there are a lot of top top clubs will be looking for a manager this season um, I think Colin and I last week on Insomniac we were speaking about Barcelona I see Martinez being a fit for Barcelona if I'm honest I don't see Ronald Koeman managing to stay around there for too much longer there we thought was a great team with him and Henrik Larsson Probably not for Barcelona, but there was that sort of basis there. So I, I really do see Martinez going to a big, big job like that. If you can, obviously the connection here is Maloney, but we can we can say what we want. It's the Celtic job or the Barca job. We all know we're going for the Sun. So it's just it's a tough one. It really is. Um, I, I just can't see it happening either. But I think long term plan does need to be in. And if how's the man for that? Then that's another question. Maybe not. And it is. It all depends on. I think we need to take into consideration these COVID times as well. Do do people want to believe in their families? Obviously, how's been out of the job um, for a while now. Yeah, he, he said he's homesick and he likes the south coast. But maybe that's changed now. Everyone's sort of been stuck in that area for a long time. So maybe he does want to go away. You don't know these things until until they come out on record and really do say it. And we can if buts and maybe's our way through. But um, we can just see. Yeah, and that's a concern that we've had raised on, on Twitter is that he won't come to Glasgow. He's a good coach, but I don't think he would be up for the Glasgow Fishbowl, says Daniel Henderson commenting on YouTube. And while we're on that, remember that we are live on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube. So let us know your thoughts and join in the chat. And remember, you know, when you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button because we have plenty of shows going out Um every day for free on this platform and not all football related so there is something in there for everyone so remember and check it out and one show I should mention that is on that platform is Amy Canavan's Soccer Supernova and her recent guest was on last night um Amy can you tell us a bit about that I won't give it away for anyone who's not seen it yet but um, tell us who you had on and give us a bit of a highlight about what we can expect Yeah so it was with Mark Wilson um, which was great I think we've all sort of highlighted how much I sort of had a love affair with Mark Wilson when he was at Celtic so um, it was yeah I think it needs to be said, obviously, the episode was filmed a few weeks ago I think there was a few guys coming in so obviously at, at the time um Neil Lennon was still on a job and that's why I was speaking about it so these these interviews are obviously filmed a little bit earlier Um, one coming up this week is um, Paul Cherry 
played for St Johnson and Hearts and I was just speaking um, off air to you girls I absolutely love it name might not be a household name but um, it was honestly one of my favourite interviews he was such a guy such a really good guy but um, yeah the Mark Wilson one I think Laura and I were just discussing it some really good insight on Tony Mowbray which is quite appropriate at this time um, and it was just it was interesting to see his take on things that how, how the club was sort of functioning at that, in that time of total and utter transition so yeah it's well worth a listen if I do say so myself <laughs> <laughs> No I'm certainly looking forward to to having a listen of that I've caught a bit of it already Amy and I will certainly be listening to to the rest of it later today um, but coming back to to Celtic and to the current times and one thing that has crept up that John Kennedy was certainly asked about yesterday is the potential that we will need to offer Rangers a guard of honour. Now, everyone has different views on this. I have my view. I know you girls have yours. But what I would say is that, you know, remember that they didn't do it for us. And for me, a guard of honour is something that is about respect. Um, and if I think back to, to 20, 2019, when Gerard refused to give Celtic a guard of honour, I do wonder why on earth Celtic would, would show that same respect to them if they couldn't put their own bitterness aside to stand and respect the eight-in-a-row champions. Why should we do something similar for the one-in-a-row champions um, on their first title? Ouch. They made their bed. <laughs> they made their bed. Why, why, why should we be the ones to to do that? Um, and if the guard of honour is about respect, then mine for them has been limited after the scenes over the weekend. And we don't talk about the club across the city very much on this show um, because we are a Celtic show. But this story um, that's been happening over the last couple of days is about more than football, um, and it's about more than you know just being an issue that's going to affect football clubs. What happened over the last couple of days affects the entire country. You know, there was blatant disregard for the COVID rules. Um, And I have to say, the failure of the the police and the media to appropriately condemn the actions on the Saturday caused the scenes we saw yesterday. Um, And I know that there's plenty of people commenting and watching who have said that they haven't been able to see their friends, their family over the last year. Loads of businesses across Glasgow have closed. People haven't been able to go to family weddings. And thousands of supporters took to the street yesterday to to celebrate their club's first title. And for me, that's a massive slap in the face to to everyone who's been obeying the rules and to those who have been working so hard on the front line for the NHS. And that's selfish. And I don't have very much respect for that. So bringing this back to to the Guard of Honour comments, should we? Amy, what do you think? Um, if I've been clear what I think, what do you think? I think it is a tricky one. I, I totally get everything you're saying. Obviously, they didn't give us one. Um, two wrongs don't make a right. Do you, it, it's it's one of those where you can you can take that, swallow that bitter pill, and, and sort of emulate what they've done and just copy them, or you can try and be the bigger person. I know there's comments coming in. We always just sort of have to see we be the bigger person. I agree with that. I think when they go low, we go high. I think you just show our class. Um, and I think it's the same sense. Obviously, there's there's reports and all, of course, it's all just rumours that there's going to be thousands upon thousands at Parkhead next week. I would leave them to it and I wouldn't comment on it. Just let let them be shameful and let all the um, just let all the attention go to them. Don't bring it on ourselves. Don't bring it to our own doorstep. What they do is what they do. Um, and I think 
I just believe in being the bigger person. Um, yeah. And again, it is a tricky one, of course, because you're going to get you're going to get that sort of battle that you know we should do exactly what um, what they do, but let's adhere to our, our own standards and not fall to theirs. Yeah, and what better quote to use than International Women's Day than a quote from Michelle Obama, um, who had used in her book, When They Go Low, We Go High. It's a, it's a great quote, and it can be applied to this, as Ashley has done on YouTube. Um, Laura, who, who are you agreeing with here? Which side of the fence are you going to come down on? I mean, listen, I, the, the scenes over the weekend regardless of who the club was, regardless of uh, who the people involved were, sh- should have been more widely condemned than they were. And I, and I made made my thoughts on that clear uh, when I was on the when I was on the show yesterday. As far as the Guard of Honour is concerned, I, I I don't really have strong feelings one way or another because I find it such a performative thing to do. It's kind of a I don't believe for a second, for example, that the that the players doing the Guard of Honour have all that much more respect for the players they're doing it for than, than they did before. Um, I don't think the players getting the Guard of Honour are particularly bothered by it. I might, I might be speaking totally out of turn. I might not be in the psyche of a professional footballer. I don't know either way. But I feel a little bit like, having said all that, my inkling would be go ahead and do it because we can show that we're not petty in that way. We're not going to use it as some kind of point scoring system to say, well, you didn't do it, so we're not doing it. Just do it. And it takes this thing out of the whole situation. It takes the talking point out of the whole situation. Nobody can come back and say, well, you didn't do it for us, so we're not. And it just becomes a cat and mouse thing over the years. I say, having said yesterday, I don't care either way. Um, I would say just just do it. It's not a big deal. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's kind of my feeling on it. Yeah, no, I, I completely understand that. And we've got uh, Stephen commenting on Twitter as well, saying that if we do a Guard of Honour, we're condoning their actions this weekend. Now, can you separate that, Laura? Can you see it differently? Can you see the actions of, of their fans, which were absolutely appalling over the course of the weekend, can't be taken into consideration for whether we do a guard of honour in a couple of weeks' time. For me, on on one hand, yes, it's separate, and on the other hand, I do have to wonder what the what their club have actually done to to stop the scenes that we saw. So, what do you think? Is are these separate issues, um, or should they be taken as a whole and into consideration? To me, the Guard of Honour is a a reflection and a recognition of the team's on-the-pitch performance. And so if you're going to do a Guard of Honour, you're doing it for the players that are coming out onto the pitch and for the coaching staff that have managed them in a competitive sporting environment to beat you in the league. I don't think 11 Celtic players clapping them onto the pitch is saying, yeah, and we don't mind what the fans did over the weekend. I think they're two completely separate issues. You'll find there are Rangers fans watching this today who will be embarrassed by the actions of a lot of those people. So I, I don't think you can tie the two things together, to be completely honest. I think I think they're separate issues and they should be considered as such because if you start taking what fans are doing outside the stadium onto the pitch or as a, a way of justifying things that you do on the pitch, you're you're, you're going down a road to nowhere there as far as I'm concerned and you're starting to condone all sorts of behaviour on and off the pitch that, that shouldn't even be connected. 
I think you're quite right on that, Laura. Um, I completely agree with you, I have to say. Um, and I do agree with, if you know the history, commenting on YouTube that we need to show that as a club, we're bigger and better and more respectful. Um, it remains to be seen what will done, be done. Um, John Kennedy was asked about it um, after after the game yesterday and refused to, to commit one way or the other. Um, so it's definitely something for the club to consider and I think to be honest that decision is likely to be made over over John's head but for me on one thing to take into consideration as well which is a comment that's come up on Twitter is that the player should be made to do it um, no player likes giving another club a, a guard of honour particularly and especially not when it's your rivals but this is a group of players who have let us down this season um, as much as we can point the finger at at Lennon, at the management team, there is only so much they can do and those players have significantly let us down all season. And it's something that John Kennedy spoke about um, in his press conference with the the fan media, which I have to say was excellent. Um, We have quite rightly um, commended him on that, on this platform. But that's an isolation. You can commend someone on having a great initiative. That level of fan engagement was brilliant and he spoke very, very well. But that, for me, is a separate issue to to his abilities as a coach. Um, and we can commend one thing and condemn the other. Um, it doesn't have to be taken as a whole. And one thing that John Kennedy spoke about during that press conference was decision-making. Um, and I think that's very, very important. He said that what they are trying to do is encourage the players to make better decisions. And it's their job as coaches that to make sure that the players make the right decisions in the right moments. But when they cross the line and when they go onto that pitch, that's then on them. Like John Kennedy said, some of the players, Forrest, Johnston, they have ability that, you know, Kennedy and Strachan and Lennon couldn't coach. You know, they can't coach them to do some of the tricks they do, the stepovers, the crosses. What they can coach them to do is make the right decisions. But once they get onto the pitch, they need to make the right decisions. And far too often this season, we see players making wrong decisions. Edward is a you know one who does this quite regularly. He, he constantly tries to dribble when perhaps a shot or a pass might have been on. And Christy constantly tries to shoot when perhaps there might have been a pass on. So it's the decision-making for me that's been really poor this season and something that the players have to take ownership of. And maybe a guard of honour for them is recognising that they're not blameless this season. Amy, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. Um, and it's sort of all going back to what we said right at the top. Um, you look at that reaction um, after full time yesterday, there is just no sort of emotion there at all. And if giving a guard of honour to Rangers gives them a little bit of kick up the backside, then I'm all for that, absolutely. Because there needs to be something. There's no hunger, there's no fight, there's just so, no emotion. Um, you almost want to see Scott Arfield maybe walk up and fire them up a bit like, no, I don't I don't want this. I should be him. This this isn't the way that it should be going. Um and clearly no, that's not me um praising Scott Arfield, that's far from it. But they clearly they clearly took something out of all of us um reaping it up in the ward uh, the reward, sorry. And now it's time to work the other way. The hus- they, they just don't care. And I don't know, maybe this is something that they need because right now we're sort of running out of options to show how they can care. They don't sort of seem to care when the league's actually done. Maybe seeing the um, seeing Rangers win it then, like the guard owner, I don't know. There needs to just be some sort of 
like kick up the backside yeah. and I, I'm seeing right now that this is potentially the only other thing that they could do because on the pitch there just seems to be no hunger yeah, and it's something that's really frustrated me um, all season and particularly yesterday, the lack of hunger, the lack of desire. And we've touched on it earlier in the show. Yes, a lot of players don't understand what this is about. How can you expect someone like Frimpong or, you know, Laxalt to understand what this season meant? But there's other players there who should be making sure that the entire squad do know what it means. And the one player we always seem to turn to when we need a bit of fire, a bit of push, a bit of desire is Scott Brown. And um, that has been his role over the last few seasons. And he's been excellent at it. You just have to look at some of the Glasgow derbies over the, the past few years. And the role that Scott Brown plays in those games is excellent. You know, even going back to earlier this season when we were struggling against St Johnston, he came on with, you know, what, 15 minutes to go and change that game. Um, and it's that sort of bit of drive, hunger, desire that we've been missing. And if I'm being honest... I think Scott Brown's been missing it lately too because he's not offering what he used to. Um, And that's frustrating to see. So it does make me think, and I know he's coming to the end of his contract, what is Scott Brown's role next year? Do we offer him another contract? Do we keep him around at the club? I've discussed this on this show before and my view has tended to be that Scott Brown is important. If we're going to go through a period of turmoil, a period of rebuilding, then we need players around the club who get it people who understand Celtic and you know their history and love the club and Scott Brown is one of them so with that in mind do we need him there do we need him in some capacity now I'm not saying he should play every week if at all next season but do we need Scott Brown Laura in some capacity at the club next season I think this is an interesting talking point because I think you and I probably represent the exact divide that there is in the support at the moment. I'm I'm much more of the camp that if there's any off-the-field influence that he potentially has that we don't know about, he's certainly not shown it this season. He's obviously not played as often this season to to exert much of an on-the-field influence. And I think if there's one thing everybody can agree on is that even if he gets another year, or if he doesn't, there's certainly not going to be another season where he plays in excess of, say, 20 games or something. So it's more you're talking about his off-the-field influence than on going forward. And, And for me personally, if we're talking about clearing out other people and, and there being problems with the with the culture at the club and that kind of thing. I would I would include a decade long captain in that and I would say that I, I've no um bad feeling towards him. I think he's been a great servant over the past uh, decade or even longer. I personally would like to see a clean break going forward, maybe get him to go and ply his trade elsewhere, get a bit of experience because you can become too sort of comfortable and sort of within a bubble where you um, don't know what the struggles are at other clubs or you don't know what the what the challenges are at other clubs and it might do him well to go out and experience that a little bit to broaden his knowledge in that in that sense and come back to Celtic at a time when he's got a bit more experience and a bit more um, perspective on what what Mm -hmm. the game has to offer elsewhere Um, I certainly wouldn't close the door to him going forward but I think I think a few years break given everything that's happened this season would certainly be my preference yeah, it's it's definitely one that we're getting a lot of comments in and I've put some of them up along the bottom. Um, but the one I've brought up at the moment is from Liam on YouTube who says, I think we could do with having him, but we shouldn't be afraid of losing him. We need a future thinking mentality now. And I probably do agree with that. Um, I think that 
he would be useful to have around the club. And we just have to look at Celtic's trends with old captains. Um, the last two captains obviously being Neil Hennon himself, who was a coach at the club for a while before being manager over two different spells. And then, you know, you've got Stephen McManus, who is, again, someone who's still at the club in a coaching role and has now been promoted to the, the first team coaching role. Um, so the club do tend to keep old captains about. Um, and whether we see them doing the same with Scott Brown, I think, to be honest, I think this is more likely to be Scott Brown's decision. For me, it depends on whether he thinks he's done playing football or whether he thinks that he's got another couple of years left in him and perhaps then looks to a league like the Australian League um, and fancies a couple of years over there. And then that probably ties in with what you said, Laura. If he goes away a couple of years somewhere else, then the door's certainly not close to him coming back. Amy, what do you think? Is now the time to keep Scott Brown and make sure he's available for next season? Or do we accept that it's probably best if he moves on at the end of this season? I think playing-wise, I do think Brown's days are numbered. Um, I think it's, and I think on the matter of keeping him at the club, it really does depend who comes in management-wise. Um, and as Laura said, it's going to be down to him. Maybe somebody will come in and he just feels that's not my sort of vibe. Um, as well, it's a to- it is a total rebuild. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, like, does Stephen McManus stay around? I do believe that there has to be someone in the backroom staff who does have that Celtic connection, if it be McManus, if it be Brown, um, John Kennedy. Exactly. There has to be somebody, especially if you're looking at, like, a how coming in, somebody with no sort of Celtic connection. So it's going to be interesting, but I don't see, I think... We're, we're jumping on the bandwagon of Kennedy not stirring the players on enough or Lennon not stirring the players on enough in that sense I think Brown Scott Brown does have to be sort of put into that bracket he is that leader he has been here for God, like my entire lifetime I just can't imagine like a time without Brown that's a slight exaggeration but it's it's one of these ones that he does need to be we are we do look at him as almost a coach now as well of course he's the club captain but he does have that coaching mentality so he does have to take a little bit of criticism because when all, when it's all going well everyone jumps on the, the Scott Brown bandwagon saying he's firing the players up he's doing this that and whatever so if you're taking all the plaudits you have to be able to um, take the criticism too so he does have to face a little bit of it this season that there's the firing up hasn't worked now obviously it's not all down to him but it is a team effort um, and he's been right in Lennon's pocket and everything they have done is hand in hand so when things go well yeah we'll, we'll be a, a team we'll be a partnership when it's when it's not going well then the only one that's not at the club now is Neil Lennon and I'm including the Kennedy in that bracket that he sort of left Lennon out, hung out to dry a little yeah, I agree. Um, and I think it is a, couple, a whole collection of failure this season. It can't simply be pinned on Neil Lennon because, like we've commented on before, he's not the only one on the training ground. In fact, Kennedy and Strachan are probably on the training ground more. And Brown is that senior influence that you expect to to be offering the drive, not only on the pitch during games um, in the dressing room and on the training field as well. So I do accept the point that this is a... You know, there's culpability on all of them this year, including Scott Brown. But equally, he is someone who has offered so much over the past few years. So one thing that was mentioned on on Friday's show is perhaps Brown remains the club captain um, in that capacity, playing occasionally. And we have a different team captain on the pitch. We've talked about it before. My perfect choice for team captain next year would be Ayer. 
I have to admit, I don't think we'll get him to stay. But for me, his reaction yesterday, we criticised the players for not showing enough emotion, for not caring enough. The one who I could probably slightly single out was... Was Ayer, he did look a bit more upset than the rest of them, um, which is not a high standard to reach, but he did look upset. It did look like it mattered to him. Um, And equally, when we win, it really looks like it matters to him. And I think he has bought into this club, and I don't think he's been one of these players who's been trying to force a move and causing unrest like he has been painted to be by some sections of the support. So I do think Ayer would be an excellent candidate for captain next season. But in saying that, Ayer is clearly a very good talent um, and he has ambition, of course, and he also has the ability to match that ambition. So I certainly see him being able to join a top club um, across Europe. Celtic are a top club, of course. I see Ayer being able to play in a top league, um, the Spanish league, the German league. He will have options out there. Can Celtic do anything, Laura, to make Ayer stay next season? Or are we going to have Callum McGregor as our captain next season? Well, uh, I'm in agreement with you that I think Ayer's probably the only one I would say looks like captain material for for as long as um, Forrest and McGregor have been at the club neither of them strike me as having the personality to to lead a team in that way um, and so they wouldn't be my preferable option um, I, I would be pretty stuck for a captain if I'm completely honest if I did go in terms of trying to keep him I think actually what might be the case is if you could tempt him with an appropriate managerial appointment. I know it sounds a bit like treating him like a season ticket holder, but it's it's the same kind of thing. You're asking him to buy into a vision and buy into a, a plan for the future, and that's really the only way you could get him to stay, I think, on top of obviously um, making sure he was financially rewarded for staying, given, given that I'm sure any offers that come in for him would probably be able to, to double or triple his wages at this point so um, but having said all that it's probably a bit of a mute point because I, I, I don't realistically see there being a way of us keeping him if I'm completely honest I think if the type of clubs come in for him that we're expecting and that we're hearing about I think it's going to be very hard for him to say no and, and to be honest I wouldn't I wouldn't blame him for it he's, he's given us a, a number of years of good service he's won us a lot of trophies um, he was responsible for putting away that winning penalty to secure the quadruple treble like the, the, you can't grudge him for, for wanting to go and try and try something else I don't think so um, there are a few things we could do mainly giving them a plan for what the club's uh, progression is going forward but but having said all that I think it's going to be difficult I agree um, and picking up on a comment from Jungle Lion on Twitter is a new CEO a new manager and half a new team that is a lot of changes in one season and it certainly is there's a lot of change on the horizon and a very very important summer ahead and one we've got to make sure that we get absolutely right firstly from the managerial appointment from the recruitment and from the whole setup big changes are going to be afoot this summer and it's absolutely fundamental that the club don't make any mistakes um but like Roy Keane said, it has been a tough year, but we will bounce back like all great clubs do. Um, and I think that is a very good statement to to end today's show on. Um, but before I do, I want to say thank you again to Kevin and Russell for giving up their usual Monday slot. And to Paul and the whole team at Axon for supporting um, us, for supporting women in sport. And 
to everyone who's watched and listened to today's show for joining in. Um, we appreciate all the comments. Um, I certainly have very much enjoyed doing this with Amy and Laura today. Um, it's been great and maybe one day we will do it again. What do you think, girls? Absolutely. I it. think it's gone not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> gone not too bad at all. Um, maybe we'll take over day. one day after all. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'll end that today by saying thank you for listening and happy International Women's Day to everyone. Thanks, girls. Marketers Report. Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Social Podcast Network. Sports 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 Social Podcast Network. Network.